0: Okay, everybody just calm down. We're not gonna go crazy spending our winnings, and we're not gonna let this money change us.
1: What are you talking about? This money is our ticket to the good life. Starting now. I just bought a giant room full of gold coins, and I'm gonna dive into it like Scrooge McDuck. Ah! It's not a liquid! It's a great many pieces of solid matter that form a hard floor-like surface! Ah!
2: Welcome to episode zero point ten point zero of the Noted podcast. Today, we're honored to have our guest, Merch. Merch, how are you?
3: Hi, I'm doing fine. How are you?
2: Doing great, and I'm joined with my co-host, Michael Goldstein, aka Bitstein. Howdy. Although, really, it should be it should be Bitstein, aka Michael Goldstein, right? At this point, yeah.
3: Well, don't we all have our alter egos?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm thrown off when people call me Michael now. Uh, Merch, uh, you have been a longtime Bitcoiner and you've been contributing a lot. Um, And one area you've contributed a tremendous amount is on Stack Overflow. Uh, But I'm interested in hearing how you first learned about Bitcoin, what, what your first thoughts were when you came across it. And... Uh, What drove you to become more involved?
3: Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty much the same story as a lot of people have. In about 2011, I saw it the first time on uh, Slashdot, I think. And I read it, like the the article, oh, that sounds interesting. I even um, sent a message on a social network, oh, look at this, just looks interesting, and forgot about it. And then in 2012, I rediscovered it when there was a small price hike, and read more about it. Got excited, read the white paper, uh, started reading on Bitcoin Stack Exchange, and got really sucked in. And then in at the height of the 2013 March bubble, I thought, "Oh wow, this is really taking off. This is the moment," you know, first bubble, and um, I bought my first bitcoins at the height. At the top of the bubble, actually, and bought my second Bitcoin next morning for a third of the price. So yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think that was a better purchase. <laughs> uh, and yeah, then I, I started contributing more and more on Stack Exchange. And a year later, I became a moderator there uh, just because the former moderator had moved on. People tend to, to get bigger projects quickly in cryptocurrencies and then they just well get consumed by all that and don't have time to to maintain communities like that anymore
2: yeah and i i think that like what i like the a lot about stack exchange is that when i have a an issue and i google for it 90% of the time the top result is stack exchange and 90% of the time the answer works for me, like it it fixes the issue I was having. Um, So that's that's a pretty astounding like uh, hit rate.
3: Yeah, we're quite proud of that, actually. And uh, I think that this is due to the design of the platform, really. Uh, Before Stack Overflow, people were using forums, and forums have this horrible problem where if the if something gets a lot of traction, it gets answered on every second page. And then there's a page of comments on what could be done better in the solution and so on and so forth. And you just never coalesce on, on a good answer. And Stack Exchange is just purely that one question, all the answers for it, best answer propagates to the top. And that way you find it pretty quickly. And then uh, I've seeded a lot of connections between related question and answer pairs. So I think that that helped a little bit and it naturally has great SEO. So that's why you find it on Google then and what drives the new adopters and all that page views.
2: Yeah, that's great. uh, You know, we we often call Bitcoin trustless. Um, Well, one of the issues that's rightly pointed out is that we have to trust the developers unless we ourselves become developers and gain the same set of knowledge that they have and the same familiarity with the code. And so I think that anything that helps enable that process, uh, like Stack Exchange and all the great answers on there, uh, is hugely beneficial to the Bitcoin ecosystem and making sure that the trust model does not degenerate into a priest class, you know, (laughs) that knows everything and then everyone else who has no clue as to how Bitcoin actually works.
3: Yeah, well, there's a little bit of of a problem with the term trustless because nothing ever really is. Uh, I think that the proper technical term is untrusted, uh, which might have a fine distinction there. Uh, But regardless of that, so... Yes, we should try to make information more accessible, but also we should strive not to ha- have everyone reach that level of uh of knowledge just to use a system. We want people to to just jump in and go like, "Oh, this is easy. I I don't need to know how it works under the hood, but I can use it and everybody is using it so I can trust that it does what it should." And of course, we need we need some sort of uh, oversight. And there's luckily a lot of people that are very skeptical and look at stuff in detail and shoot down bad ideas. And we do have p- quite a bunch of contributors on Stack Exchange that are um, longstanding members of the community and they look at stuff. And if it's bullshit, they'll uh, write that it's bullshit and bullshit gets removed. So that keeps the quality high. <laughs>
2: Do you want to elaborate on your distinction between trustless and untrusted? That's really interesting.
3: Trustless implies that there is no trust, right? Just from, from the term. But untrusted is just a design decision in, in, in software, I think. And um, I feel like if you use the other term, it doesn't quite imply the same thing to, to a person that has heard either for the first time.
2: That's fair. That makes sense. Uh, and so... What would you say would be like the, uh, the best question you've seen in the uh, Bitcoin stack exchange?
3: The best? Well, there's. Uh, I'd like to rec- recommend to people when they just get started with Bitcoin. And well, now that Jameson has this great overview of, of articles on his website, that's a good place to start, of course, but I used to tell people, just read the the top 100 questions on Stack Exchange with the most upvotes and views, because there's a certain, like a broader v- variety of topics, but they have a lot of different answers. So you get multiple viewpoints on the same question and you, you really learn about a barrage of different things uh, quickly. Um, I think that one of the, the more important ones that gets asked a lot again and again is, can someone explain how the blockchain works? And I used I wrote one of my highest upvoted answers for that one, and then um, some person complained bitterly in the comments of that that I'm assuming way too much knowledge of the reader already and they need something more like uh, on the level, Alice wants to buy a, an apple from Bob's and start from there. So I wrote a second answer that is similarly detailed but with a completely different premise. And um, so that that's a good one, I think.
4: Uh, a blockchain is a chain of
3: blocks. <laughs> that that is very astute. Yes, you should add it as an answer. <laughs> Go
4: for that coveted green check mark.
3: Yes. Um. Well, w- we do have a few funny ones and. Uh, one of the weirdest is maybe what is the hash rate of a human and uh, it turns out that somebody actually tried it out they calculated a f- complete SHA-256 hash uh, Ken Shurif, and he arrived at uh, at about .066 hashes per day and I think the energy consumption is vastly uh, worse and um, then we have uh One that I also like is how would you design a cryptocurrency that ignores chains from other planets? So sort of like the the delay aspect, latency aspect of mining put to to a totally different dimension. And uh, maybe the most absurd is uh, one of my answers that got the most views. It has uh, 650,000 views, which is... uh, Two and a half times that of uh, my transaction is stuck, what can I do about that? Which you would assume to be a very well viewed question. And so the most viewed is, can someone explain the difference between kilo hash, mega hash and giga hash? And that is pretty absurd and sad because it just points out how bad our science education is.
2: Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I I do want to say that if if people are listening to the podcast and they have not read uh, Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos, they should probably pause the podcast and and read it, especially uh, chapter six on transactions, because we're we're going to get into uh, some pretty technical uh, areas of transactions, uh, which Merch has been working on and he wrote his thesis on. Uh, and he recently had some really good news about uh, with Bitcoin Core. So let's launch into that if if you want.
3: Maybe maybe one more point. I think this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Uh, a lot of people go around, and uh, especially when they are newly excited about Bitcoin or similar currencies, go around and try to to make merchants adopt it for payments and. Um, I think that a lot of people don't realize that currently the usability and uh, user experience for Bitcoin on-chain transactions is just not that great, and it is for the foreseeable future not going to be particularly great. Some people try to, to run away from, from this fact by creating uh, other networks that uh, try to mitigate singular points where, where the current user experience is lacking, but... Um, really, for me, the the result was I I'm not gonna go and try to advocate for the use of Bitcoin right now until I see that the recipient of this advice is gonna have a, an actual benefit. Don't don't go out and and poison people against Bitcoin because when they try it now and they find that it doesn't do what they want it to do, mm. it'll just not be helpful to anyone. You waste their time. They hate Bitcoin afterwards. They tried it. It was stupid. And uh, you waste your own time too. So I'm extremely excited about the advent of light, the Lightning Beta this morning. Uh, I'm sure you're also watching that closely um, because I think that is going to have a much more um, point-of-sale-driven user experience and will be exciting. So sorry for hijacking your topic. but
2: <laughs> Yeah, t- no, no, no. That's fine. Actually, I do want to. I do want to fill in listeners on on what you were referring to, which is that uh, Lightning Labs announced that. Well, first of all, they've raised uh, a seed round of two point five million dollars from some really a great set of investors uh, that including Jack Dorsey and David Sachs, the former CEO COO, I think, of uh, PayPal uh and he he also worked at he's worked at like facebook and whatnot so really uh you know some of the uh, movers and shakers of silicon valley uh and but more importantly they announced that they now have a mainnet lnd uh officially i think it's supported basically it's not that it's not that they're recommending that people use it but it's uh, there yeah, no, and so that's that's really exciting because that's a, a milestone. Uh, up until now, everything had been recommended to be on testnet, although some reckless individuals decided to go on mainnet. Um, but yeah, the 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 Lightning Network presents a much more compelling usability profile for merchants uh, in terms of it being actually instant uh, and much more secure and reliable than zero confirmation, which is what they'd been previously relying on for instant transactions. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, it has a much lower fee because it's not being globally broadcasted for everyone to store. Uh, it's really a, a point-to-point communication, which is much more efficient and scalable way of doing payments. And right. more private for that matter. Yeah,
3: and my understanding was that previously, um, it was not to be used at, on mainnet at all, but some people did already. And now they recommend developers to try it out with small amounts. But this is really exciting. It's moving fast forward. And I just read also that there is a bank in Japan, uh, sorry, not a bank, an energy provider in Japan experimenting with uh, in small payments for on um, Lightning. And I, I can see this going... Vertical very quickly.
4: Yeah, I'd seen recently I can't recall the name But there was a Japanese group that started their own implementation of lightning Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah,
3: I think that's the same group It's an energy the third largest energy provider in Japan
2: I you you said you said that it was moving quickly, but let's be real It's been a long time coming and I feel like in Bitcoin things move slowly until they move very quickly um, and there's kind of a, a long buildup,
3: period. There, there, there's also a little bit of a silly misconception here because a lot of people like us are sitting at their computer every day consuming all the news. And for us, everything seems to be just moving in, in uh, uh very slow speed. And when we, when you look back at what was missing two years ago and uh, soft forks that have been added, um, CLTV, CSV, uh, SegWit, and so on. If you if you actually look at what speed protocols you'll usually develop at, how long we've been trying to get IPv6 or, and, and stuff like that, Bitcoin is still moving at a really ludicrous speed. And this, it's doing this while not breaking all the time, right? It's been up for, years without any issues whatsoever, while other uh, networks that are trying to move fast and, and break things are, are down much more frequently.
2: Yeah, I think part of the tension is that, and uh, I think wenceslas Casares made this point uh, when he was repenting for Segwit2x, which is that uh, Bitcoin is a protocol, not a business, And thus, its evolution is going to be, it's going to have a very different profile than what we're used to when we're looking, for example, at the evolution of Facebook or uh, another uh, centralized business. Um, Creating a decentralized application and network is a whole different engineering challenge and uh, product challenge, for that matter, than a centralized business.
4: Yes, and and additionally, much, you know, just
2: much more complex.
3: Yes, I would agree exactly.
2: <laughs> so uh, back in 2016, you wrote your thesis on coin selection. Do you, want, do you want to explain to us what coin selection is, kind of just like from from the, the basics of uh, having a wallet uh, and what the old way of doing things is and what the new vision of doing things is?
3: All right, I'll I'll try. Please do ask guiding questions when I get to technical or uh, lost in detail. Um, <laughs> well, I've
2: I told our audience to to read up on transactions, so
3: well, still, still, uh, it can happen. <laughs> okay, so you see, actually, I first uh, got lost in that topic, in, I think end of two fa- 2014 or early 2015. I joined the Bitcoin core dev channel and uh, was looking through a few open issues and there was this issue to look at the coin selection. And I mean, I hadn't really contributed to core yet but that picked me as interest. Uh, interesting. And I, I proposed a change and it actually got merged but it got quickly reverted when we noticed that my change caused the global UTXO set to grow, uh, UTXO being the unspent transaction outputs, uh, the little pieces of Bitcoin that are floating about and make up the balances of people. Um, so... it it got reverted because uh, we hadn't foreseen the, the global meta effect of thousands of wallets suddenly changing their behavior in a minuscule way and yeah, we didn't want the result that ended up coming out of it. And then, when I started my master thesis, I realized that this topic had still not been addressed by anybody. The code had been unchanged in Bitcoin Core since I think almost two thousand and eleven, uh, when it was changed from just selecting everything in the wallet for every transaction to something a little more sensible. Uh, maybe, maybe there was a few steps in between, but okay. Uh, See, I'm already getting in the V, so I should start at the uh, start. Um, Coin selection. When you create a transaction, you have to select a set of uh, pieces of Bitcoin to be able to pay for the transaction on the network. Uh, Hereby, pieces of Bitcoin uh, are referred to as unspent transaction outputs, just uh, outputs of previous transactions that are still available for spending. And these were referred to as coins also by Satoshi. So if, if I say coin selection in between, I mean the same thing. And um, so every transaction, when it uh, uses any of these pieces, coins, or unspent transaction outputs, they get destroyed and used up. And then the transaction creates new pieces of Bitcoin, which then get tracked by everybody globally again. This is how we decide whether transactions are valid, whether funds are available for spending. It's um, a set of currently about 51 million pieces of Bitcoin. And um, now the challenge with that is that... Uh, the the ideas that people have what this unspent selection should be doing is very different. So from the user's perspective, you just want your transactions to be as cheap as possible and perhaps as private as possible. Uh, from the network's perspective, we, for example, don't want the UTXO set, the global amount of these Bitcoin pieces floating about to, to balloon and uh, create large memory needs on every single node that is running on the Bitcoin network. And then um, you don't want it to be grinded up to dust. You uh, want to have a sensible amount of these coins in your wallet, you don't want that to buy balloon either. So there, there's a number of, of different things that are to be looked at. And these are very, very different for different use cases. So imagine, myself as an end user that does an occasional uh, Bitcoin transaction, I I will not have a lot of volume, I will not make a lot of payments, and I just will have a few pieces of Bitcoin, right? It's a very simple problem for me. Look at a big exchange perhaps that does several thousand transactions per day that receives a lot more incoming payments than outgoing payments when people deposit funds in order to trade on the exchange. And then they have to solve a much more complex problem in order to decide which of these pieces they are going to use to pay for their transaction. And uh, so obviously, if you had somebody that just did that manually all day, they'd probably have some sort of intuition and would do fairly well. But that's not really scalable enough. So you need some sort of decent default behavior, and you need perhaps in cases where people have a lot of volume and very special use cases, you need uh, special solutions that are fitting exactly their use case.
2: Okay. And when you said that users can optimize for you know low cost and privacy, um, how are how are those two optimize essentially what about a selection strategy optimizes for those or like why why is it that one set of coins selected is more private than another set um, or less expensive
3: right so for example if you put up a donation address on your website To make people contribute a little bit for the content that you provide. Yes, please uh, contribute to the Noted
2: podcast. (laughs) We have our (laughs) link on the website, (laughs) noted.org. Thanks for the plug, Merch.
3: (laughs) So, um, do you use a single address or do you generate new addresses here?
2: We use a single SegWit address.
3: Uh huh. See? So, uh, if you get more than one donation, you'll have multiple pieces of Bitcoin. Uh, UTXOs that are associated with the same address, right? So, for example, in this case, it would be much more private to spend all these coins from the same address in a single transaction, and then start using a new uh, donation address in the next uh, afterwards, uh, than to spread these out over many different transactions, because inherently all these transactions would be very simple to to identify as belonging to the same entity. Uh, by chain analysis. So, uh, for example, you would want to look that you pick uh, funds from the same pools that are already connected and already uh, clustered identities instead of crossing over between those uh, clusters and uh, connecting them further. And smaller input sets generally create less of these uh, chain analysis bridges, less taint. If you, for example, do not send a change output back to your own wallet, uh, the transaction ends the history that is associated with your wallet. So uh, most transactions uh, will send the recipient amount to one address and the remainder that was also selected back to your own address. And this creates a 50-50 linkage of the next transaction to the same transaction. But Uh, Imagine you could pick exactly the right set of uh, combined inputs, so you don't even need a change output. Then the history ends here. The next transaction is almost certain not to be from your wallet and chain analysis doesn't get anything from it. Um, So this would be ways how it could be more or less private. Uh, On the other hand, uh, cheaper usually corresponds simply to the Bitcoin transaction size. As the Bitcoin transactions, well, sorry, Uh, the the inputs and outputs of of a transaction uh, correspond to the size of the transaction. And when you're paying to get a transaction included in a block, what you're actually doing is bidding for block space. And the bigger your transaction, the more expensive it will be.
2: Yeah, and I, I do want to make it clear that when we say, you know, the bigger or the size of the transaction, we're specifically talking about how many bytes does this take up rather than the value, how many bitcoins uh, is the transaction or is a specific input or output? Uh, because different and even different scripts, uh, locking or unlocking scripts uh, will have different sizes. Uh, for example, you know, ap 2 sh is going to be smaller uh, for the locking but then for the unlocking it's going to be bigger uh, so yeah uh, and so how is it currently working uh, in Bitcoin Core or has it been working
3: um, Bitcoin Core had a very very convoluted way of picking unspents. Um there was an, a declared goal of trying to find exact matches as in transactions that don't create a change output. But uh, in my simulations that I did for my master thesis, it turned out that it only achieved this goal in minuscule amounts of of, um, cases. I think if I recall correctly, it was 0.6% over 12,000 outgoing payments. And um, so it it didn't uh, succeed at this declared goal. It also very aggressively spends the smallest unspends in a wallet, which may or may not be a good idea. So the the thought there was that fees will be rising in the long term, and it's better to spend unspends now than later. But that is not necessarily true, as we've especially seen in the last months, where we had a huge fee hike in end of last year, and then... uh, have had a very, very quiet period in the last two months where we almost always had uh, blocks with one Satoshi per byte clearing per day. So uh, really what we've learned here is that um, it's better to, um, it's not necessarily best to spend as many uh, UTXOs as quickly as possible, but also it can be great to have a small transaction at a, that you need urgently and pay a higher fee at, and then later just clean up the small unspends that you have left over in a consolidation transaction that you might even just put in it with a very low fee and might take a week or so to clear, but it, it'll clear eventually and then... Um, and you'd be sending that, that up yourself,
2: for you. right? Uh, if you're just uh, yes. Up your...
3: Sorry, yeah. Consolidation transaction generally... Uh, tries to spend a lot of really small unspends and um, consolidate them into one bigger piece that you send back to yourself. Uh, you could, for example, go with smallest first selection to create such an. And then, yeah.
2: So it'd be really interesting if, like, uh, in the Bitcoin Core wallet, that. Uh, it could notify you, hey, the the mempool is empty. Estimated fees are very low. You have these, uh, you have a lot of transaction or uh, outputs here that could be consolidated and then like suggested to you a consolidation transaction rather than you the user having to take the initiative. But yeah,
3: yes and no. I mean, uh, you're currently. Uh, creating a scenario where a person is actually watching what's happening in Bitcoin Core. But that's not necessarily the case. There's a, quite a few people that just run the Bitcoin daemon and interact with it in, with the API. Um, then uh, there's just people that open up their Bitcoin Core wallet once a month, and, and they'll never see these messages because they they are just running it in the background and and not really paying attention to it. And when they open it up, they want to do a transaction right this moment and it better go through in the next two blocks. And and they wouldn't benefit at all from such messages. So really what we want is, uh, we want a system that is sensitive to the current uh, network situation. And if the fees are really low right now, maybe include a few more inputs. If the fees are really high, try to create a very thrifty transaction. And um, I think, so the thing that uh, Pierre has been um, pointing out at a few times, uh, we had a pull request merged yesterday uh, for my, uh, that, that incorporates some of the results of my master thesis. And it does that. It, uh, at low fees, it'll try to include a few more inputs at high fees it'll optimize for for very small input sets.
2: And this is a situation where it's a win-win because the person uh, doing the transaction benefits and the network benefits because now you're reducing the congestion on the network at a critical time.
3: Exactly. And and, and that's exactly how it should be. Uh, people should be using cheap block space when it is available to, to do their consolidations. And... Their consolidation transactions should also signal a low priority as it has. And then high priority transactions should be small and cheap, uh, cheap cheapish for the fee level that they're at, and um, be broadcast with a high priority in order to make them go through quickly. I think we've seen a lot of improvement there in the signaling of people. as I think the realization that, that transactions can have very different time preferences has been becoming more prevalent.
4: Have there been thoughts uh, as to perhaps when you go to actually send the transaction, the coin selection gives you a number of potential options? Um,
3: that's been thought about a little bit, but um, we actually our solution is much simpler than that still. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but this this
2: uh, pull request that got merged, if I understand correctly, it was just the, the first step. In what you want to, uh, what your vision is of coin selection in Bitcoin Core, right?
3: That is correct. So my um, my result in the the result of my master thesis was twofold. One is uh, the Bitcoin Core coin selection was computationally uh, suboptimal. Uh, It also didn't really find the best possible solutions. It always aimed for the same change size. And it's not really clear why why uh, one bit cent is exactly the right amount to create change for all the time. It might be a good amount for some, it might not be a good amount for others. And now with the really high fees, one bit cent was actually sort of getting close to, to a point where it was not very economic to spend it. What my branch and bound algorithm, which is the part that was merged now, uh, does is it comprehensively searches the the whole UTXO combination space of your wallet and tries to find an input set that does not need a change output, but it doesn't stop after it finds the first solution. It continues to search uh, to find the solution which wastes the fewest Satoshis, which is um, Either it reduces the amount that is left over over the exact match, which is dropped to the fee rate, or it reduces the input uh, count when when there's higher fees or actually adds more inputs when there's very low fees.
4: So basically, it's not that it needs to be uh, exact, exact change, but if it's within a couple satoshis, it treats that as exact and kind of just, you know, treats that like the way people treat pennies where they might just throw it in the the tip jar. Leave a
2: penny, take a penny,
4: yeah.
3: Right, that is pretty much the idea. And here's also a a scientific explanation. When you create a transaction with a change output, the change output uh, is about 34 bytes, right? So you have to pay for those 34 bytes. Let's assume that we currently are in a scenario where we have 100 Satoshis per virtual byte, and you pay... um, 3,400 Satoshis just to create the change output. So if you hit uh, the exact match within a difference of less than 3,400 Satoshis, you're actually losing less money by not creating the change than you would have by creating a change. Yeah. So um, our our actual uh, window that we allow for the exact match is a little different than that, a little more complicated still, but in the essence, You're saving money that you would have otherwise just spent to create a new piece of Bitcoin that you then have to spend at a later time again.
4: What what are some of the other parameters that you
2: do look at?
3: Our our selection only looks at the current UTXO pool and at the fee rate.
2: And have you been able to look at uh, what percentage of transactions would be improved by this coin selection in the sense that you know, c- can we currently see how many people are sending transactions where they're paying more to send themselves change than the value of the change?
3: I I have seen such transactions. I don't have numbers for those. Yeah. In my simulation results, I had one scenario where, where I first did the whole payment scenario with largest first selection, which created a huge buildup of UTXOs in the wallet. And then I ran the same scenario again with... Um, Branch and bound, and uh, I got forty percent transactions without change outputs that way. Wow! Awesome. So this this will save thirty four bytes on every transaction where it finds a solution, and then it'll uh, save one more input that is not created ever. That. Is, doesn't have to be tracked by the Bitcoin network and not spend another a or two. I'm,
2: I'm glad the fee market is driving such efficiency gains. Uh, that's, that's a great outcome. And I, I also think that we should give credit to Andrew Chow for uh, writing up the code that implements this.
3: Oh yeah, Andrew has been invaluable because uh, I have a bit of a hate-love relationship with C++. have <laughs> worked with it in the past for a few years, but the the Bitcoin core um, code base, while it's been cleaned up a lot since the first implementations, is still fairly detail oriented and has there's just so many edge cases and and that are treated like for example you can turn on that the recipient pays for transactions and uh, then the, the amount for uh, the fee for the transaction will be deducted for from um, uh, the recipient output. And that is being treated. And then you can send uh, up returns, you can, all sorts of stuff. And all that has to be treated. So I'm very happy that somebody else uh, hmm. went into the boon docs and, and cleaned out all that.
2: And it shows that if you have a great idea and you've put the work into elaborating on it and, you know, you, you put together your, your thesis, that you can attract, uh, and it's not like you paid Andrew to, to do this, to <laughs> my knowledge. You didn't...
3: Uh... Uh, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe a beer. You buy him a beer. Uh, developers will be attracted to the idea and will implement it for you if it's a good idea.
3: Yes, exactly. I mean... The point that we all got together on is that we were unhappy with how Bitcoin Core's previous coin selection was working, and there there were some glaring issues with it. But it's just a very, very sensitive part in how the Bitcoin Core node works. And it has basically unforeseen global meta consequences, because if you just change it a little bit, it's being run by maybe 180,000, maybe 200,000 nodes on the network. and um if all of these people start there to change their behavior just a little bit, you might get some weird consequences that you hadn't even thought of. And so nobody really wanted to fiddle with it for a very long time. I think we've now put in a lot of the plumbing for, for further changes. We've uh, made it less complex and we've... Um, we've made a good start of improving it overall. So right now uh, we only run the branch and bound uh, coin selection as a first, uh, um, sorry, as a first pass. And then uh, we fall back to the original coin selection. The next steps will probably be that we take out the exact matching part out of the original selection because that's already covered by branch and bound. And then we'll, make the original coin selection more efficient and perhaps even replace it altogether with a simpler algorithm as a fallback strategy and i'm i'm assuming so branch and bound is uh, scheduled to be in 017 and i'm assuming that we might even get a, another change soon after or well as as we said development is fairly slow but when you look yeah. back it's quite quick. <laughs> and does
2: this mean that if people are doing uh, chain analysis, they can see, uh, because anyone who upgrades to 0.17 will have a new uh, method of coin selection, that the chain analysis would be able to see, okay, what percentage of people upgraded to 0.17 and are transacting on the network with it? Like, the, does it provide a signature of the wallet?
3: To be honest, I think a lot of wallet software is already quirky in some ways that you can easily see um, which one it may be. So Bitcoin Core, for example, signals and lock time on every transaction. It uh, always creates change outputs of uh, 0.01 size roughly. And uh, there's a few other things. Um, I know that Mycelium, for example, would always... Uh, truncate their input sets and, and drop like everything, but uh, every small unspent that it didn't need to to spend as an input. So there, there's more or less a signature on, on every wallet. Uh, the good thing here is I know already of three implementations of the branch and bound algorithm. And I know of another uh, coin selection project uh, that is also doing similar things. Uh in the long term there will be some sort of anonymity set and it won't matter that much. And then I mean sure, people are using Bitcoin Core seventeen, yeah. but that's not really pinpointing right. someone.
2: Uh, and do you have uh do you have other things in the pipeline that you're excited about?
3: Well, I've been looking a lot at the mempool lately. <laughs> um There's uh, Jochen Hoenecke's page that is invaluable in that regard. And I've I've been watching fascinatedly how the fee hike in the last year finally drove adoption of best practices. Um, People have been saying, use batching, uh, create small transactions at high fees and stuff like that for a long time. But after... People spent so much effort and developer time just fighting fires in the past months. And now when, when it quieted down, I think a lot of uh, companies realized that there were some easy gains, some low-hanging fruits to be picked here. And we actually saw that for uh, at the peak, it was, I think, 64 million UTXOs. And we're down to 51 million now this is a reduction of 20%, 20 20.2%. And and the good thing about that is that you also have to realize it created a bigger average unspent. So, while each UTXO in average was about 0.26 Bitcoins at the peak, when we had the most uh, UTXOs, we're now to 0.33 Bitcoin per, per UTXO. So, uh, we've been seeing that the blocks have been slowing down in the past weeks. Uh, for for almost two months, uh, it drew very, very... F- uh, the the hash rate was growing very fast and we've had block times of seven or eight uh, minutes for, for times. And now we're back to 10 minutes. And the mempool has been spiking a little bit in the, in the past days where it went over 50 Satoshis per byte briefly. And the good thing about all the consolidation that we saw in the in the last uh, months is that now, when people are going to create new transactions, they will have much larger average unspends and they'll just need fewer inputs to create their transactions. So even if there's going to be a congestion now, they simply don't have to use a lot of inputs to create their transactions. So it'll dampen the the effect of another fee spike right now. And then, of course, uh, SegWit adoption has been um, pushing slight block size increases. Uh, there, there's there's some small mitigation of what caused the problems in December.
2: Uh, now, w- do you think that like the spike in December was caused by the price going up and people moving coins around, or uh, you know, because there's conspiracy theories of oh well, it's someone spamming to pump a different coin.
3: Well, to be honest, we had an um, immense amount of interest in, at the end of the last year, we were in all sorts of media. And, um, I mean, Oh, my sister asked me how to invest in Bitcoin and she's not much of a computer geek at all. And so I think, yes, it was very much driven by speculation. It was very much driven by people that wanted to, to get in on that hype and sell at the top, uh, get their money off of exchanges because people have learned not to keep as much funds there anymore. And um, we've seen that in the past also, Uh, high speculation times drive a lot of transaction volume. It's completely natural. So I don't think that this was spam. There might have been a little bit of that at times. There, there's some interesting patterns with a huge amount of UTXOs created in in a small time frame that have been uh, cropping up over a long time and being spent. But I, I mean. Why really would you want to even put yourself in that mindset? You can't really disting- distinguish transactions that way. And as long as they pay fees, it's just simply a transaction that is bidding against you to be included in the block space.
2: Right. Uh, and have you uh, have you thought about also uh, like on the fee estimation side of things? Uh, do you think that there's you know if you're paying a lot of attention to the mempool? that opens up opportunities for a different kind of fee estimation than the current fee estimation, which is purely based on what has gotten into previous blocks.
3: Um, Yeah. So Kalle, Kalle Wolf from DG Labs gave a really interesting talk at scaling Bitcoin. I think it was mentioned already, for example, by David Harding in your previous episode. Um, But, um, you could look a lot more at what is currently in the mempool. When do I really want to be confirmed, and and pick your fee um, accordingly? I've already mentioned an example of that, maybe with my consolidation transactions. You can just lock up a few UTXOs and and, uh, and with a request to get them back in a single package a week later, right? You you just put it in the pipeline, even if it won't go through for until the weekend when it cools down a little bit, that's totally fine. And um, I, I think that we will quickly start seeing people be more thrifty with their transactions. For example, at BitGo, we've seen one customer has uh, taken our advice to, to implement batching transactions. They're no longer sending uh, withdrawals from their exchange in single transactions, but rather they're creating a single transactions per 15 minutes where they send funds out to everyone that wanted a withdrawal in the last 15 minutes. And that saves a lot of block space as well. And these transactions obviously are supposed to go through quickly. So they'll attach a larger fee and then they can do slow consolidations on the side to manage their UTXO pool size.
2: Cool, interesting. And uh, my last question, Bitstine might have more questions, but my last question is, um, do you think that, There's special considerations for coin selection for Lightning transactions uh, for opening a channel, or is it the same as any other kind of transaction?
3: That is a very speculative question. Um, We haven't really seen that much of how Lightning will get used. It's completely new, right? So it'll... There'll be some experimentation, there'll be some best practices being developed. But one thing that has been criticized a lot in the past is that it's so expensive to do a transaction in order to create a Lightning channel, but then you probably don't even realize that you can just replace a transaction that you already were doing. And instead of sending to the recipient directly, you you bind the f- uh, funds into a channel and pay them in Lightning directly. Or... While you are doing a transaction, you can create a channel uh, at the same time. So um, you could even combine that with batching transactions and stuff like that. There, There is a lot of ways to, to reduce the cost of creating Lightning channels. And, um, well, one of the issues perhaps that you have with Lightning is that you have a persistent ID on the network by th- having this anchor of your channel on the blockchain. Uh, I guess you would probably want to recycle it every once in a while just to, to get a new identity on the Lightning network. Um, people that want to use Lightning very privately probably have strong privacy um, concerns regarding the creation of Lightning channels. But other than that, it's probably not that much of a different beast for uh, than regular transactions,
2: All right, Michael?
4: Uh, I don't have any specific questions, uh, but I learned a lot about uh, you know a, a topic that you don't hear about too much until there's uh, a bunch of hubbub on Twitter uh, about a
2: about a Bitcoin merge from the great uh, Bitcoin merges Twitter. Yeah, follow at uh, Bitcoin merges to keep up with what's going on in the Bitcoin core repository and what's going to be included in the next release, 0.17. Merch, it was an honor to have you on. Uh, thank you for fielding our questions. Uh, Sir, a- any uh, last comments you want to ha- tell our audience uh, where to, where they can find you and uh, what they should uh, go check out on the internet?
3: Um, maybe one more comment on coin selection. So one of the interesting results that I also have had was um, if, if you don't know what you want to do in coin selection, just randomly selecting on your UTXO pool has pretty decent trade-offs. It's very simple to implement. It's a lot better than just doing largest first selection or something similar. Uh, so if you're out there creating another new wallet, you might want to just go with something simple that is still decent. Um, you can find me on the web, uh, I, I sometimes uh, Keyboard warrior, a little bit on Medium. I've I've been commenting on lightning topics in the past. I have contributed a lot on Stack Exchange. I'm uh, somewhat visible there just due to a lot of edits and a few posts. And um, well, yeah, that's that's basically where you would see most. I, I've been seen on Twitter lately a little bit as well. So <laughs> I'm at Merchant said. One for them. And then uh, just invite me to your meetup. I, I like giving talks.
2: <laughs> yeah, that that would be great. If if you run a, a meetup in the uh, San Francisco area, especially, uh, have merch come talk about these topics because uh, they're fascinating and uh, they strike the right balance between being like, there's there's some topics that are too low level that w- just aren't of general interest in Bitcoin. Uh, and then there's topics that are like beaten to death because anyone can talk about them, like the the financial economics of it or, you know, blockchain technology buzzwords. Uh, but I think this is right, right in the middle where it's a very practical subject.
3: Yeah, uh, thanks.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, and I will post a link to your thesis because uh, for... For audience members who want to dig deeper and like really uh, learn something new, uh, that's a great read to go through and uh, I'll link to your Stack Exchange profile so that people can see all the uh, questions you've answered. Uh, And I see here, you've answered 869 questions. Uh, That's pretty impressive. You've reached (laughs) 8 million people, uh, to, To many more.
3: Since I started at BitGo last year, I've been getting less to answering questions there, but I'm still working on that. You should also watch Andrew Cho. He's been contributing a lot there lately. And uh, please also add your own questions and answers, especially if they haven't been answered yet. We're looking for, for new content all the time.
2: Awesome. And on that note, merch, uh, we'll close the episode. Thank you.
3: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Jocko as a
0: leader At what point am I allowed to go to others and say I need you because I recognize I'm not capable of pushing toward forward on my own or should that be an instance where I need to take a step back and apply More discipline to my life and find a way to push forward by myself
1: Okay, you are allowed to say that to your team member immediately that you need them Mm. Absolutely, if you of course you need your team because if you didn't need your team, why would they be there? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> if you if you can do everything yourself, then you don't have a team.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. You just do everything yourself. So uh, while you, of course, should be working hard and you should be applying discipline as a leader, it's your job to actually lead things and to let other people support and make things happen. And there's nothing wrong with that. You and, and also you don't want to be stuck in the weeds doing minute things. So. If you're not capable I think what might be holding this individual back there's two things number one is I feel like I should take extreme ownership of everything
0: yeah
1: I feel like I should just do everything myself that is not what extreme ownership is extreme ownership isn't doing everything yourself and also what can come into play is your ego because you don't want to ask people for help and that's not a good sign there's nothing wrong with asking people for help if you need it in Mm -hmm. fact that's the humble thing to do hey echo I don't know how to quite finish out this uh, You know this thing up this project I'm working out can you give me a hand with this Mm. I don't know how to work a video recorder can you show me how to do that right whatever Um, so, so there's no problem with that you're allowed to ask you can you can say that immediately in fact your team should feel that you are counting on them and relying on them they should know that and then put your ego aside ask for help no problem that doesn't mean you're giving away that doesn't mean you're not taking ownership that doesn't mean you're not applying discipline it means you're working as a team together to accomplish mission again if a te- if a, if a mission is so easy that you can accomplish it yourself, you don't need a team, why do you have them mm-hmm. if you can do it all yourself just by applying discipline, cool mm-hmm. you don't need anyone else if your your but your mission should be mm-hmm. larger than one human being can accomplish, so that's mm-hmm. why you have other people on board to help you out yeah, no problem
0: you know like I always think when when that I happens, thought we so... made it out of
1: that question <laughs> <laughs> go ahead
0: <laughs> no, but you know like let's say it's like something. That's just a pain in the ass, and you don't really need help, but you just don't want to do it by yourself
1: Oh, okay. Well, you know then, I'm then yeah, then, then you, you got to do, do it that yourself. by yourself. Huh? It, yes. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah So that's kind of where this is coming from ultimately because it's you like know, I'm not
1: saying that if you're the If you're if you have a position in a company where you shouldn't be doing some sort of task because it's not financially efficient to have you know a person that's making a Hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year doing a task that someone that's making ten dollars an hour should be doing mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, so you shouldn't do that. That's not what I'm advocating and a company won't won't be doing well Yeah, if you're paying people Hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year that you could get someone to do for ten dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that
0: mm-hmm.
1: So don't get me wrong. Yeah, but that's why we have a team so yeah. that you can focus on Going forward and whatever it is you need to be focused on and somebody that's below you in the chain of command That's a member of your team that's getting paid ten dollars an hour can do some of the stuff that you need him to do
0: Yeah, yeah, and the the question actually is, is Really clear because it's because quote-unquote because I recognize I'm not capable of pushing you know it's yeah. kind of like uh, it's obvious to you that you need help yeah, you need It's help. not that you're you know Raking leaves and I don't want to do this all by myself. So hey, you know you tell your brother come help me It's not that it's different
1: Yeah, and if you need to get the, the, the leaves raked and, and you need them done by Monday so you can get them in the bags so that the Dump truck can come and take the leaves away. hmm and you can't physically get it done then you yeah. you say to your brother hey can you give me a hand i need to get these done tonight before the sun goes down yeah yeah i'm not going to be able to make it in time can you give me a hand yeah your brother says absolutely
0: hell yeah